0: And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another episode of Podcast on the Brink, your weekly dose of Indiana University basketball news and discussion. I'm your host, Jared Morris. Podcast on the Brink is a joint production of the Assembly Call and Inside the Hall. For complete coverage of IU basketball, visit assemblycall.com and insidethehall.com. On this edition of Podcast on the Brink, Alex Bozich and I react to all of the news from yesterday, from Wednesday, as a lot happened. Juwan Morgan made his decision to return to Indiana. We discuss the impact of that, uh, what it means for Romeo Langford, what it means for the entire roster. We discuss Archie Miller's comments from the Huber's Winery event, specifically those about Devontae Green, Deron Davis, and Zach McRoberts, which were particularly interesting. And then we look around the Big Ten. A lot of other stay-or-go decisions were made. What does that mean for the Big Ten race? What does it mean for Indiana? We talk a little bit of scheduling, too, on this potpourri edition of Podcast on the Brink. Here we go. (music) Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices fully guaranteed. There is nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, have had it for a couple of years now, and it is by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets because I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats. Uh, I would love to use the SeatGeek app uh, to pick up Mavericks playoff tickets this year and see Yogi, but obviously the Mavericks are not, uh, are not in the playoffs. But if you're in Indiana and you want to watch Victor, you want to watch Eric Gordon with Houston, uh, or you want to watch OG with Toronto or any other NBA playoff games or any baseball games, during the summer, SeatGeek is the way to go because SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals so that you don't have to go through all that legwork yourself. And best of all, listeners to podcasts on the brink like you get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code BRINK, B-R-I-N-K today. That is promo code BRINK for $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. All right, we are back for another episode of Podcast on the Brink, talking IU basketball. I'm here with Alex Bozich. Alex, uh, big day yesterday for IU basketball is you had the deadline for underclassmen who declared for the NBA draft to withdraw their names and say they were coming back from school. And you also had the Hubers Winery event, the annual event that everybody looks forward to uh, with the basketball and football coach. So we want to Talk about those two topics and you know, then maybe get into a little bit of uh, discussion about how the Big Ten race shapes up uh, with some of the guys who decide to come back. But let's start with the headline moment from this week, which is clearly Juwan Morgan's decision to come back to school. So, uh, you know, he has this breakout junior season. He declares for the NBA draft, gets a lot of feedback, takes a lot of time, you know, to the point where I think everybody kind of assumed when he declared that he would be coming back. But then the more and more time it takes, you're like, well... Are we sure he's coming back? You know, kind of like Robert Johnson last year, where it's like, all right, no one really expects him to get drafted, and yet he hasn't said he's coming back yet. He's coming back, right? And you know, Juwan put everybody's mind at ease by saying that that he is coming back, and you know, really seems like he's excited about embracing you know his senior year and being a leader for Indiana while also working on some of the things that he got feedback from NBA teams that he needs to work on to make it to the NBA. So uh, what are your initial thoughts, your initial reactions to uh, Juwan's decision to return to Indiana?
1: I wasn't surprised uh, that he ultimately decided to come back. Maybe a little bit surprised on how long it took, but also you have to remember that as recently as last weekend, I think he had a, a workout uh, with, with a team, I think Atlanta was the last team he worked out. If I'm not mistaken, I think he worked out for a total of three teams. And so it wasn't like he had, um, a rigorous workout schedule, but I think he did the smart thing by, um, you know, working out for, for several teams and gathering as much information as possible. Um, I, I think it's, it's really, a a great change to the system that we've had these last couple of years where these guys can ultimately dip their toes in the water without risking their eligibility. And, and they're talking to NBA decision makers and, and not just relying on mock drafts, what, you know, ESPN.com is saying about where you might stand or what your college coach is, is saying. Um, you're actually going to the, to the decision makers and getting the best information possible. You, you learn kind of what they see in you, what, they see as your strengths and what they want to see um in your next season in order to to kind of make you more attractive in their eyes. And so, you know, I think Jawan did the smart thing by by um declaring for the draft. That, you know, I think some people obviously maybe got a little antsy as you mentioned towards the end, taking it up to maybe the day before the deadline. But you also have to remember um, uh, you know, that the the rules are set up as they are so that, you know, they have adequate time after the draft combine, even though Jawan wasn't in the draft combine. Yeah. Um, he, you know, he, he maximized the time uh, that he had uh, available to him and uh, made the best decision for him. And I, you know, I think Indiana fans should be excited that he's coming back. I think he's got a chance to have obviously a spectacular senior season. Uh, him and Romeo Langford paired together with, with what else is going to be on the roster. Uh, I think as I wrote the other day, you know, I, I look at this, Indiana team right now is a team that can contend in next year's Big Ten season. We'll probably get into that a little bit more later, but no, t- no clear cut favorite in the league for me next season. And I think Jawan Morgan coming back with, with the other pieces in Bloomington, I think Indiana is going to have a, you know, at least a, a dog in the fight next year in the, in the, in the conference race.
0: Yeah, no, it is. It is unquestionably exciting from a, from a fan perspective to be able to see Juwan play his senior year. I mean, it's so rare when we get really good players who you know play through their senior year, because usually if a guy is really good, you know he ends up going pro. You know, obviously Yogi did that. Uh, you know, came back. The comparisons that will be made between the season with DJ White and freshman phenom Eric Gordon, now Juwan Morgan and freshman phenom Romeo Langford, are obvious and 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 reasonable in a lot of ways. Although there are you know clear differences between how those players played. So let me play devil's advocate for just a second, Alex, and approach this topic from maybe the one angle where there could be trepidation. Um, And that is, you know, Jawan went and got all of this feedback. And a lot of the feedback, it seems like, that he got is that, you know, some of the things that he's going to have to do to get better, to be a better NBA prospect, you know, play facing the basket. He's going to have to improve his shooting ability. You know, going to have to be able to do some more versatile things than what he showed last year, where really he made... A lot of his, you know, scored a lot of his points, got a lot of his offensive production playing down low, kind of using his quickness and guile against guys that are bigger than him, stuff that isn't really going to work against the greater size and athleticism in the NBA. Do you worry at all about, you know, Archie and the staff having to kind of shoehorn in Juwan's, I mean, the the skill development is fine. But having to shoehorn in, trying to showcase that stuff on the court, because if you remember at the beginning of last season, Juwan really tried to step out and shoot, and was taking a lot of outside shots and wasn't going inside as much, and he really struggled. And it's when he finally just, you know, went inside, you know, both, you know, kind of out of necessity, and I think just a recognition of how he would play better, that his game really started to take off. And without Deron Davis healthy, and without another, you know, clear cut option, you know, to play down low, even though there's more talent and more more bodies there, it still seems like he's going to have to get a lot of work done down there, but that's not necessarily what he wants to showcase for the NBA. So do you worry at all about trying to fit all of that in and kind of serve both masters in a sense where you're trying to showcase Juwan's improvement for the NBA, but also, you know, do what's best in terms of him producing for the team right now to get wins.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think a fair question to ask. I think you can do both. Um, and what I mean by that is I, I think Jawan is an unselfish enough player to where he's going to do what's best for the team. But at the same time as a coaching staff, if you feel confident in his ability to, to step out, you know, maybe give him a little bit more freedom to do that. Maybe encourage him to do that. Now, if something's not working, obviously, uh, something has to, everything has to stay within the confines of the team. You know, that goes for you know, the, the the best player on the team all the way to the last player on the team. But I think Jawan showed early in his career that he was capable of, of, you know, spacing the floor. You know, his first, I think his freshman year, he did a pretty good job in ter- hitting some timely threes and showed that off as a strength. Uh, I, I think, you know, the, the main thing that's going to help him this year, maybe excel more in that area in terms of a floor spacer and being able to face up is, he's going to have better players around him. And so he's going to take a little bit of pressure off himself to, to try it, you know, to be doing uh, so many things and, and maybe he's less fatigued at certain times. And maybe that helps him uh, shoot better from the perimeter. Maybe that helps him shoot better from the free throw line. I don't think it was necessarily from a lack of ability. I think he was just really, there was a lot on him last year. You know, he did, he did start out slow as you mentioned, but I think, he's going to have a little bit less of a load on him in terms of pressure. And I think that should help him just kind of, you know, let things come to him a little bit more, not have to force the issue as much. And uh, I think ultimately it should make him a more well-rounded all around player. Because as you mentioned last year, Indiana didn't have any perimeter shooting. And so he basically their best weapon was, you know, forcing the ball inside to Juwan and letting him go to work and with, with better talent around him, other guys surrounding him. I think that, He's going to be able to show off a more well-rounded game. Obviously, he's got to put in the work this offseason uh, to make himself more consistent in that area. But I don't see any reason why he he wouldn't be able to do both. And and I think he's also um, self-aware enough to realize, you know, if this is not working uh, at certain times, and he needs to go back to what kind of got him to this point to even have uh, his name mentioned and as a potential NBA player. It was just his ability last year to, to operate around the basket so uh, it'll, it'll be interesting I think to watch uh, it's going to be really t- to me in a lot of ways fascinating to see how he and Romeo Langford kind of split up the load in terms of shots and you know who's kind of you know, uh, I don't want to say alpha dog, but you know, who's the go-to option in, in the late closing minutes. I think both of them are going to complement each other very well. And I think both of them are unselfish where, you know, if it's, if one of them has a better matchup, they're going to go uh, exploit that one. So uh, overall, you know, I think it's, uh, I, th- I think both things uh, can happen. I think Jawan can, can show himself to be a more versatile player while also staying uh, within the confines of the team. Yeah,
0: I I agree with you. I agree with you. I, again, you know, I I kind of look at that as maybe the one possible, you know, area where this isn't a great thing, but in in every other sense, I mean, this is fantastic uh just from a program standpoint, from a basketball standpoint. And I really think the other impact that it has is, you know, you've got your guy, you've got your senior leader, he's going to be a, a you know, preseason first team, all big 10 candidate. He's, you know, one of the odds on favorites to be big 10 player of the year, along with guys like Carson Edwards and Ethan Happ. Uh, You know, so he is that guy who's been there. He's done that. He doesn't mind shouldering leadership. In fact, he embraces that. How much do you think that will help Romeo's transition to Indiana? Because I feel like if you take Juwan off, You know, yeah, you've got you've got Zach McRoberts who's been around and 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 can be a leader, obviously by example. Uh, And you've got you know some of the older guys like a Devontae Green that's going to be stepping into that role. But without Juwan, it really feels like you've got a uh, you would have had a big void in terms of production and in leadership. And you know, Romeo is going to step in, being the guy everybody's looking to, certainly for production. You know, I just wonder if that would be too much pressure. For him, and if having Juwan is going to help him just ease in a little bit, and, and it, there's already going to be a lot of pressure on Romeo. Don't get me wrong, but having Juwan there, it just seems like it's going to make his transition more comfortable and uh, allow him a little bit of time and space to focus on getting comfortable without having just the, the the heaping mounds of pressure he would have if Juwan were not here.
1: Yeah, I think not just with Romeo specifically, but I, I think with the whole roster, it helps uh, to not only have um, Evan Fitzner, who's who's been kind of through some of the the high level games of the NCAA tournament, but but Jawan's really the only guy, um, if I'm not mistaken, that'll be on next season's roster. That's that's really had experience winning, uh, you know, a conference championship. The the only guy that's had experience playing in – you know, the bright lights of a big time NCAA tournament game. You know, he was there for uh, Indiana's game when they beat Kentucky a couple of years ago in the tournament. He was there for that North Carolina game in the sweet 16. He's, he's played in a lot of high pressure, high level games. And, um, you know, he's going to be a guy that others look to for leadership on the court along with Evan Fitzner. I think both of those guys are going to kind of be in terms of speaking from experience, we've been here before kind of the guys that others look to on the roster and as many of those guys as you can have, you know, you want to have as much talent as possible. And I think the, the talent influx with the incoming players is, is obviously one of the key storylines and and key things to improvement next season. But it, it, you also have to have uh, some experience, you know, we've seen with some of these teams that, you know, have great players coming in every year, a Kentucky, a Duke, you know, sometimes they end up in the final four and sometimes they don't. And more time, more often uh, than not, the reason that they don't is because they don't have that senior upperclassman uh, leader that, that they can look to in in key situations. And I think we could, you know, see our, you know, next March or when it comes to maybe a round of 32 NCAA tournament game and game on the line uh, to have guys like Evan Fitzner and Jawan Morgan on the floor uh, could pay huge dividends because uh, there's no uh, good substitution uh, for experience. and Both of those guys are going to bring it at a high level. As you look forward to doing your top 25 players in the Big Ten this offseason, do
0: you foresee any way that Indiana doesn't have two of the top 10? And is there a chance they could have two of the top
1: five? Well, it's a, I definitely think both guys will be in the top 10 top five. I mean, Jawan's
0: top five, right? That's unquestioned.
1: Yes. Well, um, I would say for sure. Carson Edwards is in the top five. Ethan Hap's in the top five. Trying to think who else is in the league. Um, I think Charles Matthews. Yeah. Charles Matthews is probably going to have an argument just based on what he did in the tournament last year and what he's going to do for Michigan next season. James Palmer Jr. from Nebraska is going to be another guy who's going to get a lot of preseason buzz. I think he was an All Big Ten player last year. I Come think Jawan will be in the top five. I, I don't know if Romeo and him will both be there. You know, it's going to be maybe a debate on which guy you think is going to have a bigger role next season. But I can definitely, I mean, I definitely think that that both will be in the top ten. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe a more interesting question is, will they have a third guy somewhere later in the top twenty five? Because yeah, uh, if they do, uh, then really uh, it might be time to look out. I, mean, I guess the only other guy would be Justin Smith, and that's yeah, you're really basing that
0: on potential rather than what he's already done. So, or
1: our our our, our breakout candidate Devonte Green. Devonte you know Green.
0: Maybe. So, okay, I want to talk about Devonte Green um, because I thought Archie had some interesting comments at the Hubers Winery event about him. Um, before we do that, let's take a quick break for a couple of ads, pay some bills, and then we'll come back and let's talk about Hubers and Devonte specifically. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Alex, so you were at the Huber's Winery event, uh, you know, posted the video of, of Archie's comments, uh, you know, Interesting stuff. Obviously, you know we haven't had a chance to hear Archie talk uh, a lot recently, so it's always nice to you know to hear him answer some questions and give some insight on things that are going on with the program. Uh, you know, there, there wasn't really anything earth shattering, but I did think he had some interesting comments on a couple of guys uh, that stood out to me anyway. And I want to hear who stood out to you, but I thought his comments on Zach McRoberts and Devonte Green were particularly interesting. And let's start with Devontae um because it sounds like and tell me if you got this impression but it sounds like at some point this offseason he and Devonte kind of had a conversation a little sit down conversation about how good do you want to be you know and it it is never it has always been clear that Archie Miller believes in Devonte Green's ability he believes in the talent he believes there is a high level player there and he even mentioned that you know Devonte showed at times last year he can be one of the best guards in the conference and he did. I mean, there were stretches, you know, that stretch in February where he really did show that, but it's surrounded by inconsistency. And it it sounds like they had that conversation. And from what Archie said, that Devontae responded really well to it and had as good a spring as anybody in the program. Said he was shooting the ball as well as anybody that he's seen in his time at IU since the few weeks that he worked with James Blackman Jr. before he went pro. And that's you know, granted. <laughs> you know the shooting hasn't been great in the program. But you know, just to be mentioned in that same uh, you know sentence with James Blackman Jr. shows the type of of shooting that he was doing. So I think if you if you look at what Archie said, there are some reasons, I think, to continue to be optimistic about Devonte Green and his development, and that maybe the light bulb is going on, and the maturity and the focus will combine with the talent. To be a guy who, as an upperclassman, can really put some of those inconsistencies and struggles behind him and be a player Indiana can count on. Um, did you did you get any of that from what Archie said about Devontae? Or am I reading too much into it?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with most everything you said there. I, I thought it was you know he didn't Archie didn't give you know a ton of I guess what you would call maybe um, juicy nuggets on what to expect from last season, but you kind of read between the lines on what he said about Devonte, and I think you hit the, the nail right on the head In that, you know, he thinks that he can be a really good player, but at the same time, um, your talent's only going to take you so far, right? Do you, do you want to be, uh, you know, just a, a guy on the team or do you want to be one of the guys, right? There's a difference. And I think he sees something in Devonte green, um, that could be special, but at the same time, he wants him, um, you know, a coach can only push you so far. A coach can only have the same conversation with, you. you know, last year it was, you know, he had that stretch where he barely played against Purdue and then he comes back late in the season and he kind of takes off and, you know, he had, that was probably his best stretch of play of the year. But you got to have that consistently if you want to be, you know, a uh, you know, a constant in the rotation, a guy that the team is relying on on a night in and night out basis. And so I think last night, what he kind of told us was hey, we've had conversations. Um, and I don't know this for a fact, but, you know, just based on kind of the way he said things, maybe it wasn't um, the most comfortable thing in terms of the conversation of hey, you know, do you want to be um, one of the guys that, that, Carries this team, or do you just want to be another guy on the roster? And it sounds like Devontae's responded uh, in terms of uh, the way he bounced back from that conversation. It seems like he's taking things a lot more seriously, and I'm really interested to see. I think Jared, we might have been onto something a couple of weeks ago when we talked about, uh, you know, the the, the breakout season uh, for Devontae Green just based on his talent alone, and you know, if he's totally 100% bought into to being the, the the player that, that Archie Miller thinks he can be and wants him to be. I think he could be a very, uh, a very big surprise next season. So I, you know, that was the, one of the more encouraging things I took from last night was just that the fact that he was willing to share with us that, you know, that maybe they've had conversations uh, this off season that, um, you know, kind of laid out the expectation and that Devontae's responded uh, accordingly from that.
0: Yeah. And the other guy, and, you know, he had some interesting comments about d'ron Davis, too, and we should talk about those. But I wanted to mention Zach McRoberts real quick, you know, because you know, just in case anybody thinks that with this influx of of talent and and young talent, obviously, that Indiana has coming in, that maybe Zach McRoberts would get lost in the shuffle. Um, Archie, not, he, not that he was trying to, but he can't disguise his affection for Zach McRoberts. Uh, I mean, I think he, he even might have said that he's, one, you know, one of his favorite players to coach uh, and said, you know, hey, if I'd started playing him earlier last year, maybe we win a few more games. So that's one of those things where, to me, you know, as you start projecting forward with lineups and you start, you know, mixing and matching and seeing what's going to be there. You know, it's really easy when you when you kind of pencil Zach McRoberts name in there to say, OK, well, you, know, you take McRoberts out and maybe, you know, you put Jerome Hunter in, you do this, that or the other. I mean, I think it's going to be hard for people to unseat him. Um, because he does so many of the things defensively that Archie wants. Archie mentioned last night that he's really hoping to see him be a more confident offensive player. You know, shoot it with more confidence. Um, and so, you know, I really took that. Archie and Zach has certainly earned this. He certainly earned it with his play last year. But Archie views him as an integral part of this year's roster. Um, and to me, you know, a guy that until proven otherwise, you know, I expect to see him. You know firmly in the rotation, if not as a starter, especially early in the season,
1: yeah, uh, you know I looked at it um, you know the, the the I agree with everything you said in terms of uh, McRoberts. The interesting thing to me is while he talked kind of about Zach's importance when you when you listen to him talk about all the new incoming players, like he didn't like separate any of them in terms of their the potential impact on the team next year. He almost talked about them like as they're all equals and they're all coming in as kind of at the same level in terms of, you know, they have to earn their spot. And I think that's important to have in a program. You don't want guys coming in who are expecting anything uh, in terms of playing time or shots. And I think he makes some great points about Zach McRoberts um, in terms of what he can do um, from a defensive perspective, what he needs to uh, improve offensively. Um, and so I I think all those guys, uh, I agree with you. They're going to have to come in and maybe show that, that they're will, that they're uh, capable of, of providing more production. I think that's when you look at this roster next season, I was kind of just glancing at it the other day and I looked at it and I'm like, wow, there's, there's 12 or 13 guys here who I think could play. Right. I mean, yeah, potentially. And last year it wasn't like that. And so Zach McRoberts is is definitely right in the mix on, on that list. And, It's going to be, you know, last year it was searching for options. Uh, You know, which guy can we put in and maybe find something? And uh, there was kind of different stages of guys who played, you know, late in the season, Freddie McSwain was one of the guys that he kind of found and and said, hey, we got to go with this guy. He gives us a chance. Next year it's going to be, there's so many guys on the roster who are going to have a chance to make contributions. And I think that's going to make everyone uh, better. There might be some guys obviously that don't get minutes at certain times. It's not, they're not going to be happy, but that should motivate them uh, if they're competitors and guys that want to get better to, to up their level of play. And I think Zach McRoberts has set a pretty high bar in Archie's mind. And you know, if you're Jerome Hunter, or you're Demisey Anderson, you're coming in you want minutes. Hey, you better show me something that, that, helps differentiate from you, you from uh, Zach McRoberts or um, what he provides to us right now from a defensive perspective is going to be hard to, to take minutes from him.
0: Yeah. The only, I mean, obviously, you know, he, he talked about Romeo and you're right. I, th- I thought he did do a good job of, you know, kind of just talking about all the freshmen the same way. He did mention with Robert Finnessy that he does expect him to contribute as a freshman, but, you know, couch that with, you know, just because of, you know kind of cuz of need because we only have four guards um you know so so he did he did make that mention about robert Finnessy, um you know the other the other guy was deron davis and nothing in archie's comments last night led me to feel any more bullish about deron's availability especially early in the season than i was already and i wasn't really feeling very good about it um You know, whenever you hear, you know, the surgeries are successful, you know, the timeline is progressing, all of this stuff, like that's all good. And you expect to hear that. But I think with Duran, you have to step back and remember that it's an Achilles injury, which is a tough injury to come back from, number one. And Archie even mentioned last night, something that we've mentioned a couple of times, that it's especially difficult for a guy at Duran's size and a guy who can put on weight easily when he's not able to be active. Uh, And Archie mentioned that at least once. He might have mentioned it uh, both in the media availability and in the the talk uh, that he gave So to me, you know, I'm approaching that with just waiting and seeing and anything that we get from Duran before maybe January 1st, I'll look at as a bonus and just hope that he's ready to contribute by the second half of the season. Um, And I, you know, so I think that's something to take into account as you start looking at lineups and looking for how you project forward. um, It's hard to be more optimistic, I think, about Duran being really ready to contribute before then.
1: Yeah, the the interesting thing there is, um, even in my opinion, if if Duran was healthy going into next season, you know, say he had played all of last year, I don't, I didn't see anything in his play um, last year that suggested that you know he would have just a, a clear cut advantage over some of these incoming guys in terms of um, minutes. You know, it, it is he did some good things, but at the same time, he showed some deficiencies that. Uh, aren't necessarily conducive, you know, to playing, uh, in the, in the pack line uh, defense. And so I think he's going to have a, uh, an uphill battle to, to, to even get to, you know, 15, 20 minutes a game next season, just based on the fact that they're bringing in Evan Fitzner, uh, a guy who's experience can, can space the floor. The fact that they're bringing in Jake Forrester, race Thompson, uh, we'll see how Clifton Moore progresses. And, uh, you know, it it kind of reminds me a little bit. I think I said this a couple weeks ago. It kind of reminds me a little bit of daron's freshman season, right? When he didn't uh, get on campus uh, because of the academics and he was behind all season. Uh, it, it would be unfortunate if, if this injury kind of takes him on that same path. But you know, if he can't do all the things that everyone else is doing all summer, and uh, you know, if he's not, um, you know, 100% right at the beginning of the season, he's going to be a guy that's going to have to scratch and claw his way back into you know, a starting role. And I don't think that's a given. I think he can still be a guy regardless of if he's starting or coming off the bench that can give you something in terms of being a back to the basket presence, a guy who can help protect the rim. But, um, you know, last year, I think I threw him in the end of the top 25 list of the big 10 players. And now I think a year later, it's, it's uh, looking like a long shot that he's going to be anywhere close to, to that type of player. So he's, he's really a intriguing guy in terms of, tracking his, his off season progress and how he progresses. And I'm still a pretty big believer in his talent. I think he's, uh, you know, a, a guy that can help you. I just don't know that he's ever really going to fulfill the potential in terms of, uh, maybe, uh, what people thought when, when he was originally recruited and, you know, obviously that's of no fault of his because of the injury, but you know, the talent level is going to be getting significantly better around him. And, and so it's going to be tougher for him to, to kind of maintain, uh, his standing in terms of the rotation. The other topic that I thought was interesting uh,
0: from the Huber's comments, and I think you asked Archie about this during the media availability, was about the scheduling. And it sounds like they're kind of in a holding pattern waiting to figure out you know the dates and the times for... Uh, you know the ACC Big Ten Challenge and and just some of those things so that they can schedule in around it. Obviously, you've got the twenty game Big Ten schedule, which Archie mentioned a couple of times. But he did say, you know, he was very firm in saying that this is going to be a more challenging schedule this year. Um, and I know, you know, listening to Fred's comments, you know, he kind of alluded to the the advanced level schedule calculus that uh, that Archie and Bill Komar have devised, you know, to to kind of figure out the best way to schedule. And, you know, we talked about there, you know, the as good as it gets in the country, you know, to figuring out the kind of schedule that you need, uh, you know, to put yourself in the best position for the NCAA tournament, something that he learned at Dayton. And that was probably more of a necessity there than it will be at Indiana. But still, it never hurts you. Uh, and I don't remember if this, if Archie was talking about this last night or in other comments, but basically talking about how, you know, as a whole, the conference had to get better at that. Because last year, you, know, you have teams that are winning 13 games, not making the NCAA tournament because there just wasn't any heft to the non-conference schedule. So it sounds like that's something that, you know, not just he is committed to and that Indiana is committed to. But that the whole conference, you know, maybe they've even had discussions about it because you know they've got to fix that if the conference is going to have more respect, so that teams in the middle of the pack can get into the NCAA tournament. So, I thought those, you know, obviously we would have loved to hear something about Indiana, Kentucky, or you know some other big name matchup. But I was encouraged by what I heard about the schedule simply because you know it sounds like they're they're going through a very methodical process. They're having to wait on a few dominoes to fall, um, but it continues to sound like Archie is very committed to the non-conference schedule being very strategically planned and more difficult, which is good.
1: Yeah, I think last the thing we learned last year is you can't rely on the Big Ten in, in its current state right now uh, winning a lot of games there to make the tournament. We learned that with Nebraska. And I think overall, uh, the the league next year is, you know, y- you have to when you build your schedule, you're, you're looking at the fact that right, we're playing 20 big 10 games, but how many games are we going to play against teams that, you know, we think are potential tournament teams or teams that are really going to help our numbers. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, we've seen early projections of, you know, three, two, three teams in the big 10, being in the top 25 preseason. So you look at that and you say, well, I don't want to be Nebraska next year. I don't want to go 13 and seven and not make the tournament. So um, instead of you know, uh, you know, we we know there's a pretty solid base of non-conference games. There's ACC, Big Ten challenge. There's the Gavit games. There's the Louisville game next season, and there's Butler. And then say there's six or seven other games. You want to have some, you know, top 200, top 150 games in there, at least a couple or more to to, you know, just have something that counts rather than scheduling wins. And so. You know, that's that's the interesting uh, thing when the schedule comes out you know we're all going to be looking to see well how many Ken Palm top 150 teams or top 100 teams and I think there's going to be more than last year you know he he basically said as much that the schedule is going to be tougher uh, than it was last year and, and I think a lot of that's based on what we saw as you mentioned last year with a couple teams Nebraska Penn State who didn't do enough in the non-conference and then tried to rely on Big Ten wins and well the Big Ten wasn't very good so uh, I don't think until the conference proves itself, um, capable of, you know, sending team, you know, more than, uh, you know, five or six teams of the tournament that you can just rely on, uh, the conference schedule anymore to, to get yourself there. So you have to do some, some work in the non-conference. And I think that they realize that, and uh, I'm looking forward to having some earlier season games, uh, once again, that, that mean a little bit more, you know, it gets, yeah you it's know, it's fine to have two or three maybe that are kind of gimmies but beyond that you really shouldn't be playing uh, any any bottom feeders cuz you what do you really get out of it
0: Yeah I mean nothing outside of maybe some experience for young guys and some confidence building but you know not not a whole lot So other than than the things that we have talked about was there anything else that stood out to you at Huber's, or maybe outside of the stuff people can see on the videos, like the comments from Archie? Was there anything about the atmosphere or you know, just you know, the, the, the people who were there that kind of stood out to you that might have been different about this year's event than other ones that you've gone to?
1: Well, last year was different um, from the previous year, just the level of enthusiasm and the amount of people that showed up. And this year was at, at another level. I mean, I got there um, a half hour, I think, before the doors even opened and it wasn't obviously a cool day. I mean, it was, it's hot down here, um, in Southern Indiana area. And there's a line uh, half across the parking lot of people waiting to get in. And I think they turned away 300 people uh, who wanted to come in, you know, in the previous weeks in terms of trying to contact and get tickets. I think that was the largest uh, crowd they've ever had in that, in that room plantation hall. I think it's called it, um, at Huber's winery. And, Overall, I just think it speaks to the enthusiasm right now around the program obviously Romeo's a big part of it, but the recruiting class in general the excitement of what what the future holds for the program and it was it was a great turnout and I think it speaks a lot to this you know the some of these on the road uh, uh, events have kind of come and gone over the years this one's just always stuck around it's like something you have on the calendar every year and I don't know the particular reason why they always come back here, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with. There's um, at least, you know, even in the down years, there was 500 people showing up. And I think this year it was 980 or something like that, close to a thousand people that showed up. And uh, I think it was a it was an interesting, uh, fun night, good food. Uh, A lot of people just kind of uh, beginning their summers. But in the back of their mind, you know, you're always thinking about Uh, The the fall IU football starting and and IU basketball and I think overall last night was a was a good representation of just the the general excitement around uh, not only IU basketball IU football and athletics in general. Well, number one, it's in Southern Indiana, which Archie let slip is his
0: favorite region of Indiana, which I thought was a funny comment. Yeah, Uh, that was funny. uh, And wine, Alex. There's wine. People love wine. That's
1: true. That's true.
0: (laughs) Um, All right. So let's wrap up here. Let's kind of take a little bit of a broader view of the Big Ten, because now we have a lot of the, you know, the stay or go decisions are in. Ethan Happ is going back to Wisconsin. Carson Edwards and Nogel Eastern are going back to Purdue. Charles Matthews is going back to Michigan. James Palmer is going back to Nebraska. There might be a few that I'm forgetting there. Uh, Now that that has shaken out, you know, you mentioned earlier that Indiana is a team that can compete in the Big Ten. I absolutely believe that is true. That doesn't mean that, you know, that they have to win the Big Ten for it to be a successful season. And we know that scheduling and timing and injuries and the development of young guys and all those things play into it. But I don't think there's any reason to think Indiana can't be right in the mix, you know, and be a top four or five team in the Big Ten with a chance to win it, uh, given, you know, what we when you just kind of look up and down the rosters in the Big Ten. So as you I'm assuming that you agree with that. And if so, you know, who do you view as the biggest competition for Indiana? And then also maybe the biggest surprise team in the Big Ten, you know, based on the rosters as they're looking right now.
1: Yeah, well, I would say Michigan, Michigan State obviously have to be in the discussion just based on the fact that Michigan has Been pretty consistently good under john beeline despite what they're losing from last year's team i I, you know getting charles matthews back is going to be a uh, a big deal for them i think they're going to have obviously a younger team next year but a talented team michigan state's interesting to me you know a lot of people are putting them in the preseason top 10 top 15. i mean they lost two lottery picks probably uh and and tum tum nairn and gavin chilling and ben carter that's a lot of pieces to lose, but they also do have Nick Ward back, Josh Langford, Cassius Winston. I think that's a good core. uh, Although I'm not as high on them, maybe as as some others, I think Nebraska is a team that it's going to have a say. Um, Although I just wonder with them, you know, they don't have a superstar type talent. You know, James Palmer jr is a good college player. Um, I just wonder maybe have they kind of hit their ceiling of of what they're going to be. They're a team to watch. I think Ohio state, Obviously, we'll take a step back. You know, the one team that that I'm looking at, uh Maryland is obviously going to be interesting. Losing her Kevin Herter is going to be a big deal, but Bruno having Bruno Fernando back, um, uh, having Anthony Cowan, I think they're gonna have um a lot of talent. And they added a McDonald's, all-American and Jalen Smith, so they'll be interesting to watch. But the the team that was really surprising, you know, NBC Sports did that kind of Big Ten reset, and they had Wisconsin eighth in the Big Ten and you know, I know last year was kind of the wasn't last year the year the streak ended for the top four for Wisconsin. I believe so. Yes. Okay, but I look at them, and okay, Ethan Hap's back, so uh, you know he's going to give them high level production. He's just yeah, you know, it seems like he's been there now for fifteen years, but uh, he's 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 traveled he's a of the, lot of
0: miles for Wisconsin. Yeah, he's
1: he's one of the best players in the Big Ten, if not one of the best players in the country. And I think a lot of a thing that people are forgetting about them is they had a lot of injuries last year. And I think their system, um, you know, all, while I don't think Greg Gard is Bo Ryan, I think he's still a pretty solid coach. And I'll be shocked if Wisconsin's not somewhere in the top five or six in the Big Ten. So there's another team that I'm looking at as a potential contender um, for the Big Ten. But but overall, it's it's wide open. It's not There's no clear-cut uh, team. You know, Purdue, I think, could be good again with Carson Edwards, Matt Harms, Ryan Klein, no Eastern. You know, I th- I think they... They're, they're going to have. Gonna, they're going
0: to take a step back, they're though. Back. I mean, they're
1: going to take a step back, but I, I still think they're going to be a good team. I yes. don't think they're a team that can win the Big Ten, but I think they're a potential, you know, top half of the Big Ten team. It's just you, I just don't see much separation between, you know, the teams that people are putting in these preseason top twenty fives, and and an in Indiana or a Purdue or um, a Maryland. You know, these other teams. It's 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 really going to be interesting to see when these preseason magazines start coming out um in, in the fall, just to see how I think a lot of them are gonna be all over the board because there's just no consensus or, or no real feeling on, on where these teams are all all going to fit in. And I think at some point here in the next couple of weeks I'm gonna do like an off season power rankings and I'm sure I'll get <laughs> a ton of comments on that. Like how'd you come up with this or how'd you come up with that? Yeah, but good it, luck with that. Re- <laughs> it, it's really hard to it's really hard to project uh, going into the next season. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, look at look back to last year. And, you know, who were kind of the preseason darlings, obviously Michigan State was and people knew that Purdue was going to be good. But then everybody was high on Minnesota and Northwestern. And I mean, the bottoms kind of fell out of both of their seasons, you know, And, and you can look at it in hindsight and say, well, you know, maybe Northwestern was a little bit overrated because people were projecting that this core was going to get better and maybe that core was just what it was. Uh, and Minnesota, you know, obviously they continue just to have all kinds of disarray in their program uh, and injuries as well. You know, so who, you know, will there be those teams this year that kind of start to get a lot of chatter and a lot of off-season momentum? Uh, but, you know, then it, it kind of doesn't hold up once the season comes, you know, and then who will be some of those teams, Yeah, you know, like in Indiana was to a certain extent last year, finishing higher than people thought. And obviously a team like Nebraska that was able to do that. Who will be those teams that will jump up? It seems like there's a lot of potential for that this year, uh, given what you said. That there's just not a whole lot of separation. And, and I mean, look, that's why when I look at this again, I mean, there is no reason to think that Indiana can't be among that top handful of teams that's fighting it out. Because, you know, they have, I mean, if not the best two man combination in the conference, it's one of the top two or three. And then you know, really throw someone else in there. You know, add Justin Smith to it. You know, if you think Devonte Green's going to get better, throw him on there. You know, now you start looking at the best three man combination. They've got one of those too. Uh, so you know, the roster's better. The the balance is better. Um, and obviously, just having another season in Archie Miller's system to be more comfortable. Hopefully, the growing pains won't be quite as acute as they were last year. So lots of lots of reason to be optimistic. Uh, about where indiana can be in the big 10 lots of reasons i think to be optimistic about a fun big 10 season but i will say just as as a fan of iu and someone who believes indiana is getting back on the right track and can be a consistent contender in the conference and a a team that's going to start competing for top four and five seeds in the ncaa tournament i would like to see the conference get back to being better and maybe having a little bit of separation and getting a little bit more of the top talent um, because you do, you start looking at some of these rosters and it's, you know, you think back to how good the conference was like in 2013 and other times, and it's still pretty underwhelming, Um, you know, just looking up and down at the, the level of teams. I mean, two or three teams in the top 25, you know, I think the Big Ten's got to figure out ways to get better and improve that and get the conference back on more solid footing than it is right now. On you know, it from yeah. a national
1: perspective, absolutely. I mean, we've had conversations about the the overall talent level in the Big Ten before, and I think it's gone down. Uh, I think one of the things can, that can really help the Big Ten moving forward is getting Indiana and Ohio State back to being good you know. on a every year basis. I mean, Michigan's held up their end of the bargain. Michigan State, for the most part, has. Wisconsin was, you know. A model of consistency for a long time. And I, I still think they're going to be a pretty good team under Greg Gard. but, but really the thing that's holding the big 10 back was kind of Indiana and Ohio state dropping off these last couple of years. If they can get back to being perennial top 25 teams, then you have yep. a kind of a, a top tier of the league. And I've always said that, you know, everyone wants to talk about, well, when, when's Indiana get it back, get it back to the final four. When are they going to get back to the elite eight? When are they going to go back to the championship game? Well, Indiana needs to first, Consistently finish in the you know top three or four of the Big Ten every year, right? I mean that's how you uh, yep. kind of build some consistency. They won two t- Big Ten titles under Tom cream, but they never kind of pieced together every year, over year, over year that they were a top Big Ten team. And we'll see if Archie Miller can do that. But I think that's really the first step in, in reestablishing uh, Indiana as kind of a national power again. And and also, uh, as I said, for the Big Ten, uh, the Big Ten needs Indiana and Ohio State I think to be good uh, consistently. Uh, to get back to, to being kind of mentioned in the same breath as a big 12 or uh, an ACC at this point in time, or yeah. even the big East really, for that matter. I mean, the big East has been just as good, if not better than the big 10 uh, in recent years. And obviously they have Villanova who's right now the, maybe the premier program in college basketball. Uh, if yeah. you look at what they've done the last three years. So interesting. Any final
0: thoughts, Alex, I believe uh, schedule wise, we are taking next week off correct? And then we'll be we back. Are, for, we are. Back we'll be back after that. Yep. Yep. Taking some time away, but,
1: um, are we, are we fun.
0: expecting, are we expecting any news in, in the next couple of weeks? I Man, when are we going to hear about, you know, say the ACC big 10 challenge opponent in times, that kind of thing.
1: It sounded like last night based on what Archie Miller said, they're expected to find out really soon. So I, I yeah. assume once the schools find out, we're going to know shortly after. So could be, uh, sounds like as early as I mean, this week, maybe today or, or next week when we, when we know that. And I'm sure some of, after that, some of the other scheduling pieces will start to fall into place. I think like six teams have already released their non-conference schedule from around the country. Um, and so the schedule, I think are going to start coming now, uh, from, from all around the country and we'll start to fill in some of the pieces, uh, that are left remaining. I think we'll have the big 10 schedule probably later in the summer. Obviously the, Returning players coming back on campus this weekend, freshman report, uh, June 12th, uh, the Indiana all-star games are next week. So a lot going on and, um, never, uh, too far away from July recruiting either. So before you know it, you know, we'll be into the fall official visits will start to happen. I'm sure some recruiting news will, will start to, to happen again. And, and so, uh, like I said, there's never a dull moment with Indiana basketball. I think it's a, it's a, it's a great thing. Um, you can follow it year round now and uh, we'll be here uh, to discuss it and and talk about it uh, every week here on the podcast. So obviously take a next week off, but it's always, it's always fun to chat. And uh, as we've said before, um, if you have ideas for topics in the off season that you'd like us to cover or specific guests that you'd like us to try to, to book for the show, uh, you can send Jared or I a a tweet or an email and, and we'll do our best to accommodate those.
0: By the way, breaking news, friend of the show Gary Parrish just released his top 25 and 1 and he has Indiana at number 25 based on John Morgan coming back. Seems to be, you know, it kind of seems to be where Indiana's fitting in, in in some of these that you're seeing, you know, somewhere between 24, 25, 26, 27, somewhere around there. So, that's good to see. And uh, last thing before we get out of here, your NBA finals prediction. Uh, Cavs in 6 or Cavs in 7? Warriors in 5. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I really I know that I mean that that it's, is that is the most
1: likely scenario, but <laughs> yeah, it's uh it's uh four straight years of this. I don't obviously I'm gonna be on vacation next week, so I don't even know how much i'll I'll get to watch or how much I even care to watch um just because uh I think we all know what's gonna happen unfortunately, but you know I like to. I think at least I was right on the Cavs getting back to the finals. Never, never bet against LeBron until uh, until he plays the Warriors, and the Warriors are just yeah. too much of a well-oiled machine at this point to overcome.
0: Yeah, it. Uh, this is a big risk-reward series. Like, there's a risk that this is a very boring, kind of non-eventful series, but the reward, you know, the possibility for drama if you know if the Cavs can keep this close and take it to six or seven games and LeBron just puts on a signature performance is huge because of how resigned everybody is to the Warriors just winning in four or five. So there's some potential there if they can make it a series. But the likelihood is that it's just kind of a a drubbing by the Warriors. I'm hoping for more, but we'll see. Yep. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you in two weeks on a brand new edition of Podcast on the Brink. Thank you for listening to this episode of Podcast on the Brink. We always appreciate you being here. To get more from me and from Alex, visit assemblycall.com and insidethehall.com for complete coverage of Indiana University basketball. If you liked this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member who loves IU basketball as much as you do. You can also support the show by leaving a rating and review on iTunes, which helps us get the word out to more IU fans like yourself. We will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, as always, go Hoosiers.